Welcome. You're listening to The Aligned Self, conversations in creating a conscious and abundant life. This is Daniel DeNovi. I'll be your guide and host. Let's see just where we can take this. Hello, friend, and welcome into this Quotable Monday. Recently, I came across a quote by J. William Fulbright, former U.S. Senator, creator of the Fulbright Scholarship. Back in 2008, I had the privilege of meeting his daughter, and she talked about the Fulbright Scholarship, talked about the different work they were doing. She was on a symposium that talked about sustainability in the world, creating sustainable solutions. But I have to admit, I had never heard this quote before. It just kind of randomly came across it, and I thought it would be perfect for our Quotable Monday. And so the quote that I came across said that we must dare to think unthinkable thoughts. And that was it. And I had to beg the question, what does it mean to think unthinkable thoughts? What did Senator Fulbright mean by unthinkable thoughts? Well, here is the whole quote. We must dare to think unthinkable thoughts. We must learn to explore all the options and possibilities that confront us in a complex and rapidly changing world. We must learn to welcome and not fear the voices of dissent. We must dare to think about unthinkable thoughts, because when things become unthinkable, thinking stops and action becomes mindless. We must dare to think unthinkable thoughts. This whole idea is very near and dear to my heart. When investigating further, what he was actually challenging was conventional thinking, old tired thoughts, thoughts that have been thought and perpetuated from generation to generation. What he was challenging was doing things because they'd always been done that way. What if we were to do things a completely different way? In 1946, Senator Fulbright created the Fulbright Scholarship. And what it was designed to do was to be awarded to those students, those graduates that expressed academic excellence, that had ideas that were unconventional. And so the scholarship was awarded to those young individuals that had applied for the scholarship where they wanted to explore different things, different ideas, different questions that weren't part of their regular education. It put them together with other top thinkers in the planet, creating an intellectual exchange across the world. Many of the Fulbright Scholarship recipients have gone on to win the Pulitzer and Nobel Peace Prize. It's all about thinking the unthinkable thoughts. Now, for the sake of our conversation today, I'm going to share some of my perceptions about what are unthinkable thoughts. Thoughts that may be antithetical to your common everyday thought. Unreasonable approaches to life. So as I proceed, I'm going to share another quote from a person from history. And this is Bobby Kennedy. Some men see things as they are and ask why. I dream of things that never were, and ask why not. Bobby Kennedy said this based on his perspective on diversity, and it's important to express diversity and embrace diversity in our American culture. And so I ask you, what steps you take, what steps have you put in place to, on a regular basis, make sure that you're considering diverse thoughts, antithetical thoughts, Most of us have adopted a a fairly firm belief system. We've taken a stand in the world. We have an opinion, usually about most everything. 
Here's another quote from Peter Diamantes. He's a Greek-American entrepreneur. The day before something is truly a breakthrough. It's a crazy idea. Trying out crazy ideas means bucking expert opinions and taking big risks. It means not being afraid to fail. Because you will fail. The road to bold is paved with failure. And this means having a strategy in place to handle risk and learn from mistakes is critical. You see, a lot of times when people set out on an intention, on a goal to create an outcome, they don't want to fail. Like They'll do everything in their power to not fail, to not fall down, to not misstep. In fact, many people will never, ever start because they're so afraid of failing. But when you take failure as inevitable, that you're going to make a mistake, it's part of the process in creating. You're not going to get it right, at least not all the time. When you embrace the fact that you're going to fail and have a plan on how to address it, then you can really move forward. But again, before you really make a breakthrough, any idea that you have does come across as rather crazy because it upsets the status quo. Here's another question to consider that someone might think unthinkable. Peter Thiel, another entrepreneur, has accumulated an extraordinary amount of achievements. You see, he asks this question, and he passes it off to everyone he meets. How can I achieve my 10-year plan in six months? Now, that's a question, because a 10-year plan is the, the basic assumption is that it's going to take 10 years. But what if you come from the perspective that you're going to achieve your 10-year plan in the next six months? What do you have to compress? What is essential? What things do you have to put in place? How do you have to be in the world? Just entertaining that question opens up all kinds of possibility. I love the scene from the movie Apollo 13. And from what I hear, this is fairly accurate. There was a malfunction on the command module. They were returning back to Earth, but they were running out of air. Their device that purified and recirculated the air so it was breathable didn't work. And so the director of mission control goes into a room where there's three or four engineers and dumps a bunch of parts on the table and says, you have three hours to create a device that will scrub the oxygen in the command module and it must work. You can't get any other parts than this. These are all the parts that they have up there. And if they can't put this together in the next three hours, they're going to die. They were tasked with a seemingly impossible, and they had a definite deadline on which to achieve it. Well, long story short, they got it done. They did it. And so what could you create? What could you put in place? What objective intention could you achieve? Could you embark on? Maybe it's just a journey to embark on. If you gave yourself a definite time limit, even though at the moment you have limited resources, many of these little internal quests begin with such a question. Now, this unreasonable quest, entertaining unthinkable thoughts, compressing timelines, and setting out to achieve a bigger goal than you can at first think possible, is done so in the context of a game. It's in the wondering, I wonder if I can. I wonder if we can do this, pull it off in a compressed amount of time. Again, asking the questions, how do I have to be? How can I exploit the resources I have? What new connections can I make? And I'm reminding you, this is done in the context of thinking unthinkable thoughts, being a contrarian, divergent in your thinking and in your approach, not doing the ordinary thing, the expected thing, or being how you've always been. 
We're right in the middle of our manifestation program inside the Nexus, Be a Badass Manifester. And one of the challenges we put ourselves through is challenging our assumptions about how long something's going to take. Because no matter what it is, we have an idea based in our reality or our perception of reality on how long it might take or in what manner might we attract a client, a situation, an amount of money. And what if it comes even easier? What if it comes even faster? Would you be open to that kind of scenario? What if you could achieve your 10-year plan in six months or a year? Why does it have to take the amount of time you think it does or did? For instance, one of our participants is manifesting a brand new house. Now, there's a certain idea there based in reality on what it takes to achieve or buy a house. But there's a lot of creative financing that a lot of people don't even consider. There are a lot of non-traditional ways to get something done to make a deal. These non-traditional approaches still take place in quote-unquote reality, but they're not necessarily available in the quote-unquote known reality or perspective that you've adopted or the story that you operate in. Again, we want to challenge our assumptions. What am I assuming in this situation that I consider fact when possibly there might be another approach? In 1973, and actually various times throughout my life, we've experienced gas shortages. Oil reserves are considered limited. And it was said, based on our current consumption, that we were going to run out of oil. But that was at a time when cars were naturally aspirated. There was a carburetor which mixed the fuel and air together. And the average gas mileage of a vehicle was about 8 to 10 miles to the gallon. But what happened? Someone invented fuel injection where there was a precise and measured amount of fuel that was injected into the airstream. That one little invention effectively doubled and tripled gas mileage, at least doubled the average gas mileage, which doubled our oil reserves almost overnight. So I'm going to invite you to begin challenging your assumptions. We have assumptions about our capacity, how much we can do, how much we can achieve, how much we can be. We've made assumptions about other people in our life. What if our assumptions are completely wrong? What if you were not dependent upon the good esteem of other people? You could make your decisions based on your own heart and everyone would agree. Everyone would get it. Everyone would love it. There'd be no dissent. And any dissent that you did get, you wouldn't even care about. You could actually live the life that you've intended for yourself without the acceptance, without the approval of anybody else except your own. What would you do? What would you begin? Would you stay in your current relationship if everyone just accepted it? Yeah, it just didn't work. It's okay. I get it. You get it. Let's begin over with somebody new. Somewhere in the 80s, some psychologists said that we need to embrace the self-esteem of our children, do everything we can to bolster up self-esteem. And that's when all these uh, participation awards started being handed out. Everyone was saying competition's bad. Kids going home because they got their feelings hurt because they were on the losing team or they lost their competition. Everyone should be a winner. Everyone should feel good. But what if losing actually makes you stronger? Losing actually makes you question your effort. Losing actually has you question whether or not you really want it. I can remember being at a swim meet and the guy who was sitting next to me, his son came in last. 
he was way less from everybody else. So when he finally touched the edge of the pool, there was no one there cheering for him. The coach didn't say anything to him. And this guy was upset that no one was acknowledging his son for finishing the race. And I asked him, why would they? Why would they pat him on the back for coming in last? This is a competition. This is a race. And I have to say, your son did not look like he was even trying. And do you think they should really reward a poor performance? I don't. I can. I completely get it. I, I can completely see why no one congratulated him. I myself have been in competitions where my competitors are so far ahead of me, so so much more skilled, that there was no way that I was going to win that particular game competition. But I set the bar up to where I could meet it. If I performed in a particular way, then I could walk away a winner. I've done that again and again, actually competing with people that at the time were outside my competitive, uh, they were not my peers, let's just say that. They were not my peers. So it was inevitable that I was going to come in last. But I was going for the gold that I had extracted for myself. In the movie Rocky, Rocky realizes that he cannot beat Apollo Creed the next day. And so he formulates a plan so he can walk away a winner. He decided he was going to go the distance. In his mind, no one had ever gone the distance with the champion. They never lasted all 15 rounds. And so he thought an unthinkable thought. And if they ring that bell at the end of the round 15 and I'm still standing, then I will know that I'm somebody, that I'm not just another bum from the neighborhood. And so in that first movie, Rocky, Rocky did not win the fight. I'm sorry if you haven't seen it, that's a spoiler alert. Rocky did not win the fight, but he achieved his objective. And you left the theater feeling as if he was the winner. And so you have the power to set the context. You can set the criteria by which it means to win for you. I can remember back in 2007, I had a workshop and there was about 50 people signed up to arrive, but there was a little ice storm in uh, Texas, which didn't mean anything to me because I was from Michigan. But to Texans, nobody wanted to drive, so nobody showed up. And nobody paid because payment was to be at the door. And so I had rented the space. I was out the money for that, but three people did show up. I could have just said, well, it's canceled, no one showed up. But three people did. So I treated them to eight hours of coaching, eight hours of instruction. I worked with each of them, addressing concerns that they had for each of their lives, And everyone walked away a winner. We even, in the middle, took a break. We went out and had lunch. By that time, the sun had come out and all the ice had had melted. And then we went back. And I have to tell you, because I was willing to entertain an unthinkable thought and give full value to just three people, I was actually paying them. If you take in the consideration of what I paid for the space, I paid them to sit there for eight hours and talk to them. It was one of my greatest experiences as a teacher. I had no concern for the actual transaction that was going on. I was totally invested in the transformation of these three women. Now I want to offer up a different perspective, a thought experiment, amusing. I asked a question a couple years ago, and it just kind of baffled me. Again, I'm asserting no stand. There's, it, It's just an idea that I pursued, a question I asked, and I'm still wondering, frankly. And so depending on your social political stance, 
Some of you may find this offensive, but that's your problem. I'm just offering up a question, amusing and wondering. A couple years ago, my wife and I watched a series on Netflix called Bridgerton. From what I understand, it's based on a book series and follows the lives of different noble families in what is, I guess, assumed to be British royalty. Although it's not necessarily named or I'm sure it's not historically accurate. But when I first began watching it, there were several blacks that were integrated inside the noble families. Many of them were landlords of noble rank and administered, you know, large estates. And I thought to myself, how refreshing that blacks are being represented in a way where they're on equal footing. I love the idea. And for the first few episodes, there was no reference to the idea that they had at one time been slaves or had been at the effects of racial prejudice. Even the queen, Queen Charlotte, she was black. There was interracial marriages. There was... I just love the idea that they were represented as peers. But late in the season, they revealed that, yes, there was a dark time in the history where they were at the effect of racial prejudice, slavery, and oppression. And again, I understand this is part of a book, but, but I was deeply disappointed. And this surprised me. I realized I really wanted a representation where there was no racial bias. There was no prejudice. It wasn't even a consideration. And this is where my little thought experiment kind of took off. I mused, wouldn't it be amazing if Africans were never subjected to racial prejudice, never entered slavery, never abducted, never taken from their families, kidnapped, killed? Wouldn't it be nice if that never, ever happened? What would the world be like? And then I was struck with another unthinkable thought. A question entered my mind. Would there actually be any blacks in North America? Possibly, but nowhere to the degree that blacks are prevalent or represented in the United States today, or even in Europe. The more I thought about it, I realized that we would probably be a lily-white society with hardly any racial integration. It's possible there would have been some immigration at some point, but nowhere in the numbers that blacks are currently represented today. Most certainly, we probably would not have had a black president. And then historically, the Civil War probably would have never taken place. And there's all kinds of implications about economics and the gross national product, which slavery was a big part of. Americas could not have economically made advances in the way they did had it not been for slavery. Now, personally, I think the whole idea of slavery is disgusting. And I do take a certain amount of solace that my ancestors weren't a part of it. But you have to accept it at a certain level, the fact that it did happen, whether or not you like it or not. But this line of questioning goes back to Bobby Kennedy's quote, Some people see things as they are and ask why. I dream of things that have never been and ask why not. So as I said earlier, there's no answer there, but there's an intriguing question that's present that is unthinkable in nature. Now, here's another question that embraces unthinkable thoughts. It flies in the face of conventional thinking, and that thinking is that it's important to remember the past, the tragedies of the past. And the belief is that if we remember the past, then we won't repeat the mistakes in the future. But I wonder, from the context of law of attraction, if we were to collectively forget about the tragedy of the past, stop replaying the pain, 
Stop acting as if we need to remember all the tragedy that befell the blacks, the, the Native Americans, the World Trade Center bombing. While all those things are reprehensible and deserve condemning, does it do us any good to continually replay it and bring it into the future? Actually recalling it from the past into the future. Now, there's an idea that I perpetuate and that a lot of people that move forward in life, they take the learning from past events, but they leave the pain in the past, meaning that we forgive, we accept it. In some respects, we choose it as something that, yes, it did happen. We don't push against it. We don't resist it. We don't say it should never have happened. I wonder, from the context of law of attraction, if we were to collectively drop the pain of the past, could we actually create a future where there is no oppression? All people are considered peers or on equal playing fields. There is no regard to color of skin. It doesn't matter whether you're white, brown, black, yellow, red. doesn't matter. It is a non-factor. I wonder, what would the belief system have to be? What would the mindset have to be if that was true? And according to the words of Martin Luther King, everyone was judged on the content of their character. And then a flip side of that question is, how are we currently perpetuating the dynamic socially that is going on today? Another unthinkable thought is in regard to conspiracy theories. Now, are you aware of where the term conspiracy theory came from? It actually came from the CIA in an attempt to discredit people that were questioning their operations. You see, if someone is questioning the authority, the quickest way to undermine that questioning is to discredit the source. Hence, they labeled it as a conspiracy theory not grounded in fact. These are simply the musings of a paranoid crackpot, a person with a screw loose, and they walk around their house with a tinfoil hat to shield themselves from radiation or being scanned. But the idea is even more prevalent today. If anyone questions the government, anyone questions the policy on why it's being put in place, is it justified? Is there money being exchanged under the table? People in the press and so-called experts in social media are quick to discredit anyone that is vocal of, or questions the government, questions policy, questions the status quo. But one has to consider the flip side of it is there's no such thing as a conspiracy going on in the government. That's to assume that every person in the government is above board that they always operate with the people's interest in mind, that there are no special interests. Well, you and I can probably agree that that is not necessarily the case. And so if the possibility exists for misbehavior, then I think it's incumbent upon us to consider that all conspiracy theories may have an element of truth contained within them. Now, that's definitely an unthinkable thought, is it not? Now, these questions, these unthinkable thoughts are addressed more at the global level, more at, I guess, culturally based level. And our concern is more what's going on at the personal level. And this is where we go back to questioning our own assumptions, those conventional ways of thinking that we assume are true, but may not be. So, my friend, challenge your assumptions, challenge convention, think things and ask, why not? Why not me? Why not us? Why not in half the time? Do this. Entertain these thoughts. Entertain these different perspectives and just see what it opens up in your life. 
Before I go, I want to share one more idea, one more unthinkable thought. And this comes from a plaque that was in the kitchen of my grandmother. Now, my grandfather was an avid fisherman, and this plaque spoke about fishermen in general. And here's a quote. Are all fishermen liars, or do only liars fish? Because my grandfather had multiple stories about the fish that got away. Until next time, this is your friend and host, Daniel Danovey, urging you to follow your bliss. Live your life from inner signals. Be inner-directed as you engage in the epic adventure. <laughs>